Across the Netflix stream, I'm Ward. This is your resource for Netflix. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Twitter, and Facebook. Cross the Netflix stream. Contact us. Let us know what you think, what you've seen, and what we should see. Go to our website to find all of our older episodes, written reviews, and Netflix news. Cross the Netflix Also watched Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, Fences, Milk, and Logan Lucky. Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. This has a dark force that threatens Alpha, a vast metropolis and home to species from a thousand planets. Special operatives Valerian and Laureline must race to identify the marauding threat and save not just Alpha, but the future of the universe. This is a, it's a great spectacle. I mean, it's, you know, space soap opera, but it falls prey to more than a future. It's got an inventive opening, and unfortunately opening is the best part of this movie. It's great world building, and it's just, it's the high point of the movie, unfortunately. I thought the opening was great, and we just never get anything as insightful or as neat or as cool as that opening. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. The leads felt completely miscast, and they are hampered by a forced romance that makes no sense. Like, whenever this movie introduces this romance, it just, it, you just wonder why. Because it, it, it is a half, half-hearted effort to even introduce it in the movie. It, I don't know. It's like, it's like somebody's forced to introduce this romance and said, okay, we're well, going to make me do it. I'm going to do it as bad as possible. And there are certainly good ideas in this. The execution leaves a little bit to be desired. I mean, it's not bad. I'd rate it. It depends just because it's, it's got some problems, but huh. anyway, this has a great opening. There's no dialogue. We see this space station that slowly evolves. We see at first astronauts from astronauts from different countries. They meet. Then we see an admiral greeting different visitors from different countries. We see him age between slots. Then we see we see him age between shots. Then we see a different admiral because so much time has passed. And the visitors at first are humans, and they become aliens. And then eventually the space station becomes so large that we're told it was launched into deep space because it just couldn't stay in orbit anymore. And this is Alpha, where visitors from thousands of planets meet on this station. It's great world building. It gets into that very quickly. And it, unfortunately, just nothing else in the movie is as subtle as an engrossing as that opening. I thought opening was really cool. So Dane DeHaan, he is Valerian, and he just never felt like the dashing robe type character. And he definitely doesn't feel old enough to be a major in a galaxy police force, which is in essence, I don't know what they're called, but that's what they are, the galaxy police force. He just didn't feel like a major, you know, a sergeant at best. An interesting question, though, why are there only humans in this force police in the galaxy? That's not answered. And, you know, the character and actor that would have worked better in this world would be Guy Pierce as Marion Snow in Lockout, a 2012 movie, which actually I liked quite a bit. It's like uh, Taken in Space. Guy Pierce would have been old enough to be a major. He has the right presence. Valerian just felt too young. And the funny thing about Lockout is it's another space adventure movie that was co-written by this movie's co-writer and director, Luc Besson. And so I don't know if he just couldn't get Guy Pierce or what was going on. But, like, that character worked. He worked in that movie. He made that movie. And he would have helped this movie a ton. Because this movie very much wants this wisecracking lead. But instead we get a budget version with Dahan. And Dahan, I mean, it's not like Dahan's bad. He's just not right for this part. He and Cara DeVille, Delavine, they both felt like a couple of kids masquerading as adults. They both seemed really young, even though... They're treated like, and you know, with the rank they have, they shouldn't. I don't know if it's the movie trying to be inspirational. Oh, you can be young and do great things, but it just seems like they should be. Valerian and Sergeant Laureline, they are a mismatched team. She's kind of no nonsense, rebuffing his flirtations with this one-sided romance. It's all him. The movie forces on us early. I mean, there's just no groundwork for it. It's from zero to 100 in no time. Valerian asks her to marry him, and she shuts it down. And I don't know. It's like, 
I, I don't know. It's like they, they only have a romantic relationship anyway. He just is like, hey, we work together. I like you. Let's get married. There's just a jump from one point to another point that has no context. And at first, I thought he was joking in the movie because that seemed to make sense, but it's serious and baffling. I mean, this romance subplot, it could have been completely cut out and it wouldn't hurt a thing because it only diminished Laura Lane. She's relegated to the side character meant to support Valerian, where she's actually, she has a fair amount of agency, but it's just, you know, why, why does she have to be reduced to his romance character? I don't know. She's a good character stuck in a movie that's trying to trap her. At one point, he has to save her, and you kind of wonder why couldn't she save herself? It it makes no And there's this whole, I don't know, Valerian has a dream about this low-tech planet, and that is related to the mission at hand. And I don't know, it just seemed overly complicated for what it is. Because um, this planet in his dream, it does exist, now it's gone. And so he's trying to figure out what happened and looking at the archives of his galaxy police force. And I don't know, you know, you, you end to wonder, okay, who's trying to keep the existence of the secret? What's going on? Uh, this is a grand space adventure, but other than the introduction, there's just nothing that really distinguishes this. There is a very long and indulgent dance featuring Rihanna. It's great CGI, she's a shapeshifter, but it has no point other than to show off the CGI and Rihanna. You could have cut that whole sequence out completely and it wouldn't have hurt the movie. There's just, there's a lot of things you can cut out of this and I'd say that wouldn't hurt the movie and it'd really focus it and probably make it better. There's an extra dimensional bizarre early on that's a great concept, but this is another detail that's front loaded at the beginning. This, begin to, this begins to explore themes of, you know, being a soldier, following orders, when does morality come to play, when does that override your orders, but it's not very effective. Valerian states a couple times that, I'm just a soldier, I'll follow orders. And then when he has a moral choice, Laureline just tells him what to do. It's not like he has any agency or says, oh wow, you know, it dawns on me that I should do this or that. No, she's like, hey, just just do this, just listen to what I say. Then you have the other side of this is the commander, played by Clive Owen, who believes the means justify the ends. But instead of making him nuance, he's portrayed as just this over-the-top villain. I I don't know. That, uh, it, it could be a neat movie. It's got some neat ideas, but it just doesn't quite. Fences, this is a... Uh, the Denzel Washington movie, a working class African-American father tries to raise his family in the 50s while coming to terms with the events of his life. This is a character study of an embittered man. He's upset at the world for the racial discrimination he's experienced. And with a character like this, you need Denzel to play him to retain some amount of likability because this guy, he takes a lot, takes out all his frustration on his family. It's based on play, play and despite most of the movie taking place in the yard, the dialogue is sharp and fast, and it keeps it lively. And you kind of tell this was based on play. It has that feel. Denzel does a great job of creating this frustrated character. The writing is great, from dialogue to pacing. And even how this tells a story, it's confidently written. I mean, the writing is a strong part on this. I would definitely recommend this, because it's it's fun to watch Denzel anyway. And you can kind of tell this is based on play, with the way the characters are in one spot, the fast dialogue. And Denzel, he really sells this. And it starts out pretty fun towards joking with his best friend, Bono. Now he's trying to get Bono to agree with his outlandish claims. And then it gets pretty heavy because you realize Troy doesn't have a great relationship with his son. And we see that Troy, he's overbearing. He's bitter about everything. He claims he can do everything better than anybody else. He refuses to hear otherwise. And he's just one of those, you know, back in my day, everything was much more difficult. And, you know, if I had it as easy as you do now, I could do things great. And he holds his family back because of it. He says, you know, hey, Son, don't play football. They're just, you're going to be discriminated against. They're going to put you down. It's not going to work out. Don't even do it. Why try? And so he doesn't even give his son the chance to play football. And you wonder, is he afraid of the struggle his son's going to face? Or is he afraid his son's going to eclipse him? Uh, it's an engrossing character. Denzel's inherently characteristic and charismatic. But he just plays this character that's not a good person. And it's kind of a strange class because you like Denzel. But this guy, 
You like him more than you should because he's played by Denzel. He's really kind of a bad guy. And he takes everything out on his family. Uh, and I wonder towards him if this one let Denzel's character Troy off the hook. You know, is it going to be one of those things where he reaps what he sows or, oh, it's the end. And the family wants to reconcile. Uh, because, you know, it's because of Troy that his son moves out. Now his son's back for what's going on. I'm not going to tell you why. And, you know, it's really neat because the son comes back. He knocks on the door. The movie knows it doesn't need to say a word as the son reenters the house after all these years. And you wonder... Just quite regret the what ifs of, you know, should I listen to my father? What could I have done if I, you know, if he hadn't been here? You know, you just, it's neat. It's a neat scene. The conclusion really does this well. You just see on his face the emotions flooding back over him. And I thought how this handled the conclusion was well done. It gave a little bit to both sides. And I didn't mind that because early on, I was like, I hope Troy gets his. And, you know, he does. But, you know, again, it both sides... Both sides get a little bit, and I thought that was a good way to do it, and I liked it. Milk. Milk is a story of Harvey Milk and his struggle as an American gay activist. Sean Penn does an amazing job in this. I mean, it just even his small mannerisms, it is uncanny. It's just an uncanny representation that overshadows a movie that's not just a struggle of a gay man, but a struggle of a man trying to find his place. It's a story of perseverance bolstered by political implications. Harvey is fighting people that see him less than human, and this movie easily proves that wrong it proves that wrong and it provides a glimpse at the backwards thinking that went on but i mean man pence performance it really is something and i don't like movies that employ a framing device but i get it in this case this movie tells you early on that harvey is killed so it's not a shock when it comes to the end i kind of like that because you know instead of making that the focus oh man can you believe he died it tells you up front and make sure that's not the focus that we focus on the man and what he does because framing's usually done to kind of cover up stuff but here it has a purpose so it works we see the origins of Harvey's political career, and it's kind of neat because at 40 years old, he decides he's not happy and he wants to do something different. He just has this relentless pursuit to enact change. He runs for political office, and even when he loses, he's undeterred. He's undeterred against a city that's against him. He's undeterred against numerous death threats. For all that he's endured, he's faced with a prop- proposition to remove you know, gay teachers from schools. He's besieged by conservatives that refuse to have any imp. And you know, it's a neat, neat movie. Sean Penn does a great job, solid script, and, you know, because everything Sean Penn does in this just builds this character. It's stand-up performance, and even Josh Brolin's character, he kind of plays, um, I mean, if you know the movie, you know, if you know the movie, you know who he plays, but he's kind of the, a villain in a way, and even he has a lot of nuance to his character, just well-written. Logan Lucky. Two brothers attempt to pull off a heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. This is a great collection of strange and off-kilter characters, and it makes it a lot of fun. It's kind of the country version of Ocean's Eleven at a NASCAR race, but it is also more than just a redneck heist. The entire plan is absurd, and the tension stems from the assumption that, well, surely these people can't pull off this heist. They can't pull off a heist of this magnet. Because when things go wrong, you think, yeah, this is it. They're not going to make it out, make it out of this. And the plot isn't revolutionary, but the dialogue, the details, the setting, it makes this unique. I would say watch it. So you start with Jimmy Logan, played by Channing Tatum. He, you know, was athlete, had a promising future, injuries set him off track. He, you know, he loses his job, about to lose his wife and his daughter, so he decides to act on a plan he's had for a long time, and he's going to commit a robbery. He's got inside knowledge, he knows the perfect date to pull it all off, and he begins to enlist people to help him, family and acquaintances, and all of them are varying degrees of rough and tumble. His brother Clyde's an Iraq war veteran missing a hand. And he didn't quite want to help, but he agrees to. They recruit Joe Bang, played by Daniel Craig, which he does really, really good job in this movie. You just, you think 
Daniel Craig used to be James Bond. And you you put those two characters together, Daniel Craig and James Bond, and Daniel Craig is Joe Bang, and they're worlds apart. And that's a lot of fun. You can just tell everybody had to have a lot of fun playing just off kilter. And again, this is set in the South. The characters have heavy Southern accents. And the movie's goal is not to disparage people in the South and say, oh yeah, people in the South are dumb. Because, uh, you know, Jimmy's put a lot of thought into this plan. Then you get Joe Bang, who wants his brothers in this, and has one of the best lines, because one of his brothers is the internet expert, and he says, oh yeah, all the Twitters, I know them. Will this plan work? You have no idea. You think there's no way this is going to work. These people just can't pull this off. And that that's what's fun about it. Plenty of things don't go as expected, and, you know, they they have to think quickly, and the plan, uh, the plan gets a little shaky. But there's a lot of twists and turns in this. This kind of doubles back on the end, because what you see isn't actually what was going on. Uh, we're tricked to a degree, but that's okay. That's how, kind of how this is set up. Large cast, supporting cast. A lot of the supporting cast have their own movies. And then you even have race car drivers, Kyle Bush and Carl Edwards. Is, they have a quick cameo. In. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it is not Ocean's Eleven. I, that's still a better movie, but it's in that genre. And yeah, it's a nice twist on it. A little bit of trivia for this. Screenwriter Rebe- Rebecca Blunt is an unknown and she's presumed to be a pseudonym for director Steven Soderbergh's wife, Jules Asner, just to prevent any hint of nepotism. Go to our website, crossthenetflixstream.com. This is your portal to find us on social media, our written reviews, news, previews, and videos. You can email me directly, ward at crossthenetflixstream.com. Go to iTunes or your preferred podcast player. Rate this, review it, I would appreciate it. I watch movies on Netflix so you don't have to.